0: Stay, stay away Give me the bat Stay away from me Give me the bat Great, stay away from me Give me, stop swinging the bat Get down Give me the bat Get away from me David Go away Give me the bat Go away Give me the bat And scene <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever seen
2: <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I know you Are you Are you Well Good Movies!
1: Welcome. Before this Halloween-themed edition of Well Good Movies, Mr. Osgar has asked to provide a friendly warning. This classic horror movie-themed podcast shall delve down into the very depths of human spookiness. It will thrill you. It may shock you. It may even horrify you. Here is Mr. Osgar himself.
0: Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies. Um, yeah, I'm kind of creeped out right now. I don't know about the rest of you guys. I don't know. The organs aren't helping. To uh, yeah, not. exactly. Yeah, we're just uh, putting ourselves in the, in the atmosphere of horror. I was going to have a set of like fake vampire fangs just to do a sort of like try and speak it in and just chuck them out because those things are never comfortable to wear. Um, but yeah, I decided against it. Um So, uh, yeah, welcome to Well Good Movies, guys. Today is our Halloween special. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what we want. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So today uh, we've got a really uh, scary and interesting uh, episode for you. We're going to be looking at those classic horror films that have influenced generations of peoples and characters and... Uh, Media, So we're going to be looking at the likes of like Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and another one which I'll keep a bit more of a mystery, uh, just because I think it's quite a fun one with that one. And I know that Craig had an interesting experience watching it. So what better to go through those sort of like fantastical horror films uh, than two sort of actors? So alongside myself and Craig today, we have got friend of the show, collaborator, Di Hill. Hello. Hello. How are you? I mean, hello. Yeah. Your voice sounds very familiar. I don't know it's, where it's from. Oh, yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, how have you been? Have you watched any more King Arthur since our last encounter? I've watched a really mental
1: French version from oh. the 70s. Right. Okay. Do so you want to watch mental hippie abstract Holy Grail <laughs> expeditions? Right. Look to France. Okay, <laughs> right, fair enough. Uh, Just gonna write that one down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do
3: often think of the French when I think of crusades. So yeah, that
2: kind of kind of works. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the French. They're mental. <laughs> if you are in France, then uh, <laughs> please write to us. Uh, also, uh, I mean, if they, us... they get to
3: write to us, then like, yeah, they are probably mental. Yeah. It's like, We prefer you write rather than send an email. Yeah. No,
0: after Brexit, we're all communications cut off. So it's only by letter that they can communicate with us. Um, <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, so um, also with us today is his debut on the show. Uh, It is actor and film buff, Christopher Maxwell. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, Tell us about what you do, Chris. Uh, You do various different projects. Yes,
4: so uh, so I've been acting for a number of years now. Uh, I've been moved back to Cardiff back in 2016. It's been my main hub for acting. I work a lot with local theatre and film groups. But uh, just as... I suppose my main downtime—it's probably the worst downtime if you're an actor—is to watch films. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, I want to try and get away from this thing that I do that's very draining and demanding. <laughs> I'll just watch other people do it. Exactly, that, that is such a rewarding feeling to do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's not going to make me second guess my performances or you know maybe. No, you know. it never does that. It never does that.
3: God damn, these guys are so damn good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh no, I find the opposite. Right, it was just like, oh, this person's terrible. Why did they get the part? Oh, that don't. <laughs> Yeah, there
4: are there are instances where sometimes you just gritting your teeth. Like that's fine, that's, <laughs> that's fine. Maybe
0: they maybe they hired themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Only
3: they would. <laughs> yeah, I had that. I had that once, and I never want to go through that feeling again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Craig, um, we've got another co-host, I suppose we could say, who hasn't uh, been on the last few episodes. Uh, yeah.
3: So uh, last appearing in uh, film talk, uh, first appearance on Well Good Movies, uh, we have the show mascot. Uh, finally back from a trip from holiday, uh, we
0: have Swiss Lodge, the dinosaur, <laughs> uh, named by um, Matt Matro. <laughs> yeah. So in the
3: in the end game for the last episode of Film Talk, the prize was naming the dinosaur,
0: and Matt chose,
3: without a moment's hesitation,
0: yeah, the name Swiss Lodge. For, to know the meaning behind that name see Film Talk episode 10 and all will be revealed it's like the intro to Citizen Kane Swiss Lodge yeah. you'll, be so, you'll see later how well Swiss Lodge works in different situations actually so that that, that will come up yeah um, but no I, I do love my beautiful sparkly dinosaur um,
3: yeah. with the coloury changing scales mm,
2: it's
1: so fabulous yeah <laughs> That like, is. I think they,
3: if dinosaurs had still
4: stayed alive they would have developed disco scales well there's like. this
1: debate about what they would have really looked like you know because yeah. we haven't got evidence of their skin you know scales yeah. and it's probably by this evidence almost certainly pink sequins
3: oh yeah yeah. well I mean obviously what the, got I wrong. mean, obviously the law is that one day Swiss Lodge is going to grow up and become Barney the dinosaur which is why the, the purple's <laughs> waiting <laughs> but no it's, it's good to have your back bud
2: Oh. <laughs>
0: So, like I said, we are talking about classic horror films. So, you know, you got your Grudge, The Ring, you know, what else am I going to get out? All those kind of films Of you know, we've we've touched on like, you know, modern horror and stuff before. But we're going to go back today, all the way back the 1930s onwards, in which we had those classic monster movies. And talking about, you know, why are they so influential? Why are there so many Um And the fact that they have made a precedent for, you know, people dressing up and uh, even when you see then the modern takes on it, they always have to have some reference to those original films, music. There's a lot of things that always uh, hark back to those films and, you know, they were a very big part of, like, early Hollywood. So, you know, we're talking about why, you know, they were such a big staple of that. So... What we've done this week is that we are going to be each choosing one of the classic horror films from uh, the sort like 1930s or so 1960s and giving sort of, like, our take on watching it, um, whether it be for a repeat viewing or for the first time. So uh, first off, we'll go to Dai as he has got the first chronological released film out of our selection today. So Dai, tell us about what you watched.
1: I watched... Frankenstein Ooh. from 1931, uh, which is the, 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 the one that kind of started all the the, the iconic Boris Karloff, mm. Frankenstein. Um, I went into it, kind of couldn't really be bothered. Um, like, I was like, oh, i going to have to sit through like a two-hour black and white thing. It's going to be, it's going it to be, long? it's going to be corn. Cool. It's actually not, it's actually really short. Oh. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be longer. But, um, but I unbelievably loved it. It's an amazing movie and it holds, uh, there's a few bits that are hokey, but um, no, it's, it, it's incredible. I was so invested by the end. Um, it really comes down to the director, James Whale, and uh, Boris Karlov himself, who played the monster, are unbelievably brilliant. Mm. So I was reading about the movie actually, and apparently originally it was intended to be just like a, a monster thing. So originally they were going to cast Bella Lugosi as the monster. Um, but Bala Lugosi said, um, I'm a proper actor, I, this is rubbish, I'm not just going to like put on makeup and hit people on the head. Um, but he said that the original script, it was literally just, it is a monster that kills people, and that was it. Yeah. But, uh, but Wales, um, when he kind of um, took over as director, he sort of started changing things uh, and started looking more into, and that's where he hired um, Boris Karloff. Um, and together you can see that they... Um, really get into the psyche of the monster, and it is really the story of the monster is just so engaging because the thing that they managed to do, which I did not realize was even possible with Frankenstein's monster, is the monster has a character arc. Yeah, he develops exactly, yeah, as yeah. a character, you know. So usually, when somebody's wearing like six inches of makeup and got bolts in his head and all this stuff, you'd imagine they're just going to be, you know, is going to be pretty one note you're just going to go <laughs> for like two hours you know whatever but karlov he starts off the monster is you know this kind of childlike wonder and all this sort of stuff and these kind of changes but there's this shot at toward the end of the movie where um frankenstein himself is kind of hunting on these mountains looking for the monster and the monster stands up from behind a rock and you wouldn't believe how much is said just in how the monster stands and how Karlov uses his body. All he's doing is standing still, but he's subtly shifted from how he stood earlier. And so suddenly you can see that now the monster does understand. He's matured and he's got some sort of goal. And now he's you know confronting the person who made it. He's confronting God almost. Yeah. And it's the most gripping and powerful and brilliant. And I was so unbelievably rooting for the monster. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then there's a moment, the moment then is amazing where, so at the beginning of it, he's scared of fire. So um, the Igorish character has this kind of flaming torch and he goes, and he's scared of it. So then Frankenstein thinks, ah, I've got a flaming torch, this will scare him. And the monster, because he's learnt, he just kind of goes and grabs his hand and throws the torch down. And it's the most satisfying, enjoyable moment when he does like, yes, monster. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then it's phenomenally tragic at the end because, you know, he gets done in and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, unbelievably it's really a tragedy mm. um, not really what you'd recognise nowadays as a horror no yeah um, but it's phenomenal
3: yeah it was very much like the obviously the original novel was basically just that uh, uh, deep philo- uh, philosophical discussion of like uh, who is the monster who is the man uh, insofar as you know God and creation and pretty much the I'm glad that the film does actually have the character art for Frankenstein uh, or specifically Frankenstein's monster could pedantics
2: because
3: <laughs> mm. obviously that's what the book is basically Is just mm. uh, like the monster just going across uh, going across the world just l- basically just looking for his place in society because yeah like he doesn't belong any- anywhere and just he has yeah. to basically come to terms yeah. well, with that so in- just turning him into a monster that
0: just randomly kills people would just be yeah Especially, hard to swallow. Especially when it is the type of monster he is because he is made from various parts of different people and if it is something like, like a Jekyll and Hyde character then you have got, he's he's out of control or he's, um, you know or King Kong or something, it's, it's something that can climb up a building and that kind of stuff but again, Frankenstein, you know he's this slow, clumbering sort of mishmash of different parts and stuff like that so it is more interesting to go into the psyche of that rather than just seeing some guy just going around like say just going er and just yeah. strangling people etc. And,
1: and really in, in the movie the, heart, the, the kind of the, the villain and the kind of it doesn't I don't think it quite reaches this. You get the feeling, because you say there was this clearly an earlier script where it was really plain. It was just and there's a few scenes there is one scene that's completely out of the blue where the monster just kind of crawls, gets into the girlfriend character's room and just kind of like approaches her and goes, Wow, and she goes, ah, and then it runs off. Yeah, yeah. And it's rubbish. And it's got it no thing to do with the plot. It's weird. Yeah. And in fact, in that scene, the scariest part is that because uh, she's the fiancé of Frankenstein. But she kind of says, oh, I'm scared that the monster's going to be nearby. And then they kind of hear it cro- it's making a noise. And so Frankenstein's like, right, I'm going to go get it. And she goes, I want to stay with you. And he goes, no, stay in that room. And he closes the door and he locks her in this room. And like that. It's like, don't lock women in rooms, mate. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Like, the idea of that he can so casually just imprison his girlfriend yeah. is terror. And then he leaves her kind of where the monster is. So that's, and that's kind of a lot of where the movie is trying to get to, is that it really, the kind of, the monster is, is like all of man themselves, you know. It's his people kind of go and do bad things. And then Frankenstein himself betrays the monster and is, uh, um, yeah. For so. the
0: people at home, obviously, um, as well, like, it's Victor Frankenstein is the person who makes him. Like, as well, people will be like, oh, that's Frankenstein's." like, well, no, that's Frankenstein's monster. So yeah, that's that, the, that's that, the classic.
1: Know, uh, so. But in this movie, they actually change... Frankenstein's first name. Okay, yeah. Uh, so they name him Henry Frankenstein. Right, okay. Uh, which is, in the book, that's the name of his friend is Henry right. and they change it around. Um, quite, I think, probably quite rightly because mm. um, apparently they did it because they wanted to make him sound less like automatically a villain because yes, Victor yeah. Frankenstein sounds like a mm. villain. Yeah. And they thought well, Henry yeah. would make you think, oh, he might be a nice guy. Yeah. And there's that idea in the movie that, you know, he's he actually initially tries to be quite fatherly and he tries to be nice to the monster and then quite casually he's like, well, Got to kill you now. (laughs) um, So, yeah, it's interesting. And really bears very little relationship to the book. Mm. Um, The theme of, you know, why am I here? Are you the monster? Am I the monster? That is the theme. But it's told so much better in the movie. Yeah. Um, Because in the book, the monster just hits the nail on the head. It's just goes on it just literally kind of goes who is the monster is it me no yeah. i am you and it's really
2: annoying
3: yeah. yeah he's incredibly well-tuned for someone who's meant to be in that existential mess
1: yeah yeah um but also stupidly blunt yeah. really and like uh on the net hunt, you know um so this movie you know by taking away all the dialogue from the character that main character um of the monster it Gives it so much more humanity than the book has, and it makes it so much more dramatic and interesting. And also just in terms of the the kind of gothic, because it's heavily influenced by um sort of German ex- you know, expressionism. Mm-hmm. So there's all, all the kind of scenes uh, in the ca- the castle and stuff. Um it's all slightly off-kilter and things. Yeah. And the big famous scene where he's like, it's alive! Yeah, exactly. Is this amazing iconic moment, which in the book, he's just like in his student dicks. Yeah. And the book just kind of says oh, I just sort of brought it to life and I was so horrified that <laughs> I had to go in another room and have a nap. Yeah. And that's all that happens.
4: It's a student dig. It's like someone in a science class just sort, of like, just sort of chilling. Like if it was modern day, they'd yeah. just be on their computer just trying to <laughs> load up Netflix or something and then all of a sudden this, this dead mishmash of yeah. bloody parts just wanders in. <laughs> he's, prob- not,
3: he's not but, wrong. It's basically like essentially like a student loft. It, yeah, it's yeah. literally yeah. like an attic. It's
0: it, literally what it's like. There probably is somewhere a student who's dropped his like... Uh, Donica Bat <laughs> on the back side of his like bed and it has turned into some sort of creature over time <laughs> it just falls on yeah. a rat the rat runs out was like
2: it's alive yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah I th- I think it's int- like um, was this your first viewing of it or did you say it was a revisit Or
1: I saw it years and years ago mm. and I remembered it being iconic
0: that you know those big
1: scenes in it you know with the it's alive and yeah. there's a famous one with the girl by the lake where it's which is really
0: harrowing. I was going to say that was the Standout moment for me. Yeah,
1: really, really scary moment. Um, but uh, I hadn't really remembered just how gripping it was, sort of thing. You yeah. know, um, well, I think when I was younger, I watched it from the perspective of that kind of historical perspective. Like, oh, it's very interesting. You could yeah. see how all the details have influenced modern cinema. Yeah, because um, so much of it. Has influenced modern cinema. Yeah, but, you know, the there's so many... sort of
0: the burning at the mill and everything like that is yeah. it. Yeah, you sort of think like you watch it, and you think like, oh wow, this is where this is from, and you know, mm. and they do recreate it very well a lot of the times. Yeah,
1: um, so there is so many little details like that, and you know, like the way it kind of stalks people, and um, and even things with like um, there is a scene, you know, after the small child is, is he kills this small girl, and his dad kind of takes her through. Um, the village and just kind of carries her through the village and everyone kind of stops and looks and that's the yeah. thing where you go oh I've seen this in about five different movies this scene yeah, uh, and there's so many little details like that, that you can see are very influential
0: that's what I um, loved about it when I saw it um, it was a few years ago but it, it very much you do go into these films thinking you know what is so iconic about them and you think like you said you're just going to see this all like you know monster traipsing around Bashing people. Um and when I first experienced it, like I said, I didn't expect that humanity and those Mm. deeper meanings. And and when you do look at a lot of film history, it is that kind of stuff. Even, you know, things like George Melee and um you know, you've got things like the Soviet era films. You know, they're all about deep things and about the working man and all this kind of stuff. And it does link in kind of with that that they're trying to do these bigger themes. So a lot of the times when people are like, oh, you look at those old black and white movies, they're just silly. You know, they're just it's like, well, no, actually, they could be more thought provoking than some of our modern films mm-hmm. um because you know, in some ways, that's all they had because one, it probably was a lot darker time to live, but two, you know, it's they didn't have special effects and stuff to rely on, so. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the themes and elements you've brought up will definitely come up um, in a lot of the other ones Um, any other sort of comments on Frankenstein?
4: just when you talked about that idea of like the the the, the, the sort of the sympathy for the character as well. It's so interesting that he that the, the that figure that square head, those bolt necks. It's it's considered a horror monster icon, yeah. and like but he's so he is quite far removed from yeah. from Dracula and as you said Jekyll and Hyde and the Wolfman because yeah. those the Wolfman and Hyde they're like alter egos that are precisely the evil side yeah. or the monstrous side. <laughs> Whereas this is a monster that's been built, yeah. and it's almost like learning to not be a monster, but it it's such a tragic like thing that yeah. he he's built from frankenstein's perspective it's it's built for him as a challenge, yeah, and people see it, and they immediately go, well, he looks weird, so he's clearly wrong yeah, yeah. and then it's it's so unique that he's he's become this
0: horror icon yeah. and that's an element of other universal horror or um or classic horror films is that you know when you look back at the history of it you've got like you said um, like Phantom of the Opera was classed as one of those universal Mm, horror staples so when they had the monster films that like united them all Avengers style um phantom the opera was one of them and you're like what when you look at it now after the musical <laughs> yeah. but it vo- was very much a different story before the musical and everything was created thank you, had, you lloyd Webber. you had the same thing with um hunchback like it was, it was like the hunchback and yeah. everything and you know that changed um i think uh what's the other one i'm thinking of There was a few like that king kong as well like you know that he became more of a sympathetic whereas before it was just he was the type you know the tyrant and all that kind of stuff so yeah it, it's happened with a few but Frankenstein does seem to still be in that grey area of like yeah, he's either possibly because of things like monsters and Adam's family where he's that sort of vampire, werewolf staple character. But yeah, he has got a lot of human qualities to him. That
1: I think a lot of the later movies because I've seen a few that there's kind of Hammer ones as well. And yeah. they and those ones, he's just a monster. They're just they really boil it down a bit. And mm. then I don't know. Haven't seen. There's a recent one, isn't there? Dr. Frankenstein Stick movie. Franken-
0: I was going to mention that. Yeah, I
1: haven't seen that.
0: But is it, it fo- what uh, it focuses on James McAvoy playing um Victor Frankenstein and it pretty much yeah, is it's, like when it's, we
3: it's weird, basically it's it's told from the perspective of Igor e- Eagle by hmm. Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Um and like it, it's meant to follow like Frankenstein, but then it does that very, very typical at the end, once the monster is created in the last, say, ten, fifteen minutes, what have I done instantly becomes
0: just a a juggernaut (laughs) fug. yeah it's like it's it's literally like you don't see the the Frankenstein monster until the end of the movie it's the the final act of the film is him creating it and it immediately causes chaos kind of thing so it literally is they literally go to like
3: an island off of Scotland
0: to like create him in like Mm. yeah so it is literally about Victor Frankenstein because it's so much his film rather than so because that's the
4: other thing about it he becomes the monster because of the It's nature and nurture. He's turned into a a, a, a villain because everyone treats him terribly. So he basically comes to a conclusion that fine I will use my freakish strength and I will scare people
0: I I, I didn't mind Victor Frankenstein because I thought there was interesting elements of it I thought you know ego etc and looking at the man himself so a lot of Mm. that film is then based around you can't do this you can't recreate life and then they (laughs) sort proved right that you know he can't Um, but it's not like you said then so much about the actual monster himself
3: it's just not not what you watch the film for Mm. But I think that's
1: you know definitely the story is there with Victor Frankenstein the character as well of that descent into kind of madness which again the book in the the movie, this the thirty-one movie, that opens with him like stealing bodies and things and yeah. you immediately have this kind of um insane character. Um but there's a lot of horror and an interesting journey within Victor Frankenstein himself because he's starting off as being quite a normal student and ending up, you know, sewing on body parts and things. Yeah. And so there's an interesting character there. Yeah. Um but the other final thing. <laughs> the movie sort of acted. Ad- I think this is hangover from the original script, right. where it's meant to be a lot simpler. But saying about like, is it nature or nurture? It act- turns out it's nature because right. when um, the ego, he's he's not actually called ego in the film. He's no. called Fritz. They call him, yeah. and it's only a few movies in they start calling him. Eagle. I, f- I found that weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit confusing. Um, but uh, he's Nick stealing into Nick the brain. Yeah. And they've literally got two jars. And there's this lecturer giving a lecture, and he's like, this is a normal brain of a normal... Per- this is a criminal brain. Yeah. Look how bad it is. It's a criminal brain. Don't you- If you're going to bring your life back to them, the dead, don't use this one. So it's a no-go
0: brain. Don't do it. This is the normal brain. This is Hitler's brain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. This, is a- this
3: is a normal brain. This is a normal brain on crack. <laughs> yeah.
1: But then they, they just written <laughs> normal brain an abnormal brain in like felt it pen on each jar yeah so he got gets in and he's like
2: hmm normal brain abnormal
1: oh, brain
4: it would have been a brilliant because i was I'm, I'm assuming the brains looked almost identical yeah you can't so, so it would have been a case of like he accidentally <laughs> like, what did you read well it well i, I did you read the words correctly I didn't. <laughs> Did you give him the abnormal
3: brain?
0: I got confused, like eagle it's like <laughs> emperor's new group versus like the label has like fallen down yeah, so it looks yeah. like poison it's like just abnormal has been like covered up by something else like normal oh, abnormal, abnormal. Yeah. oh I didn't see the AB sorry gave him
4: the wrong brain yeah. I'm
0: so sorry I thought it meant awesome brilliant <laughs> it
3: was like I, I'm really sorry I gave him the criminal brain I just thought the bandana they put on it, it looked really cool <laughs> um, we do want to see like the alternate version where they do give him the normal brain
1: yeah. and it turns out
0: he's a really lovely monster I yeah. <laughs> have a normal brain he yeah. comes like a stockbroker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, going from Victor Frank, uh, well, Frankenstein, uh, about a monster, like I said, to then a icon of, sort of other horror uh, franchises, especially like things like the poster and the iconography. Chris, tell us about uh, the film you decided to watch.
4: Well, I decided to watch The Creature from the Black Lagoon,
0: mm-hmm.
4: who is uh, an interesting, Is it, it Because it's one of those ones that everyone sort of knows about. It's the fish monster or the gill man, as Mm. as he's been described. And I'd never seen it before. Mm. So I I figured I'd go and look for something that's a bit out there. But he's often associated that that image of that fish face. Mm. Um, So when I went to watch it, the biggest thing I took away from the film as a whole was there's very much a sort of emphasis on science in this film so the opening line there is a biblical verse of god uh, God created the world and then it goes into a more scientific explanation and one of the other things I noticed about it was because it follows a group of um, archaeologists and researchers and scientists and the archaeologist discovers a fossilized claw and it's like oh we found something amazing so we have to research it and it's obviously it's one of the ancestors or relatives of the creature it's been preserved mm. so a lot of it is lots of science talk lots of science conversation and this is an interesting note from the films of that time as well yeah there were very few occasions where if characters were speaking they were alone on screen mm. characters when they were conversation they were always grouped together there was group shots there were very few examples of just like one person talking then the reaction and things like
0: that. Sounds a bit like the day they stood still, that kind of like... Yeah, it
4: was almost a very theatre-style sense of acting. So it it, Mm. it was kind of quite realistic. And then the very few solo shots they have would be of someone swimming or someone... In the case, there's quite an interesting shot of the creature just looming in towards the camera as everyone's back's turned. Mm. But yeah, this idea of, of the science of it all. And the creature in this, again, is quite sympathetic mm. because he's just in his own environment and yeah. there's all these people that have come along and they are disturbing him so he's lashing out mm. and when they actually get to the Black Lagoon uh, the famous Black Lagoon uh, the creature's swimming around and there's one the film's only just over an hour long yeah but didn't feel that it felt very long really because there is a lot of is it now is it now Mm. Is it now? Is it when is this? Because you see the creature mm. quite early on, yeah, in the water, and it's like, is he gonna? Is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? No, nope. is he? Mm? And then when finally it starts happening, it's like, oh, now it's all kicking off. It's really great, but like, there's a point where um, there's one of the researcher's partner. She's there, and they've gone under and they've done some swimming around and they've found some interesting rocks, mm. um, and she goes for a swim. Right. by herself, and the creature's just there, swimming around, and it's like, oh, he's going to get her, he's going to get her. No, he doesn't get her. Oh. So there's a lot of waiting around, a lot of, like, not nothing really happening. But when they finally discover, and they have know for certain, that this creature is down there, there's the two differing sides. There's the one who's like, we need to capture it at all costs and kill it and do science stuff to it. And there's the other one who's like, hang on, this is a living creature. Maybe we don't need to be so brash. Yeah. So there's the whole idea of... um there's almost an ethics to it as well. Yeah. And like I said, the biggest thing I got away from this film was a big big statement for science and doing things right by science. Having said that, they do poison the lagoon several times to try and draw it out from the water. Right. Kill <laughs> they, all
0: other fish They literally in there, yeah. just
4: go around just throwing poison in and dead fish rise. It's like, it's oh. not working. It's not working. <laughs> it, it does get him high okay. But, yeah, so... <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the, at one point they're like, we need to get the creature so dazed and confused that we can then hopefully stop it. So they turn it into a surfer dude, basically. Because <laughs> yeah. that's another thing about the film. The, the majority of the action takes place on the lagoon, where they're on the boat, and then the creature eventually traps them in the lagoon, so they can't escape. And there's a fairly decent body count, I think of about seven or eight people and I love the way because you never saw the deaths you just saw the hands and the scream and then everyone's reaction to it so it was very the old school techniques you do but it was also very clever because he's like what what did they do what did he do to them in fact there's a great bit where they return to the site after they've he, the archaeologist has returned to the researchers and he walks into the tent and it's just them staring at what's happened and they're like oh no and you're like what happened what yeah. did this creature do but yeah as, as a film it's uh, w- the biggest thing I could take away from it it's very well made yeah because there's lots of underwater shots and there's lots of shots of the creature swimming around in the water in that suit up close it's a bit dated mm but bloody hell it was impressive. Yeah. It was so impressive the stuff the swimming that he was doing and and the the difficulty in that suit which was thick as all hell. Mm-hmm. And it's quite amazing to think that the length they went to for a for a sea creature film, you know, yeah. and like I almost feel like because of the nature of the, you know, you need to see what the creature looks like. They could have easily just not had shots of it. Mm. They could have gone the whole POV view, but that was long before this. Yeah. And you can see the influences of this film on later sea creature movies like Jaws yeah. and things like that. And um, Finding Nemo. Oh, and Finding Nemo. Yeah, definitely yeah. Finding oh, Nemo. Oh,
3: the joke I was going to make was Shape of Water.
0: Well, yeah, that, <laughs> that's... Even the, the monster itself yeah. is influencing yeah.
4: But, like, yeah, the creature himself is a very... He's, he's just a to, he's a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, he's, he's just there and all these people have come along. He's like, just go away. He just wants them to leave yeah. until eventually he, um, he steals the woman away as if to sort of be like. And I, he actually does it as a trap to lure them in so he can finally be rid of them. Because mm-hmm. after a while, he traps them because I think his intention is like, right, I need to kill you. Because I think he cottons onto the idea of, you're going to come back with more people like you. And I don't want that. This is my lagoon. You stay away from my lagoon. And yet, yeah, in the end, after, spoiler alert, uh, the creature gets shot several times. And going back to this idea of the sympathy and empathy towards the character, the, the main hero just sort of goes, no, just let him go. And he just returns to the lagoon. And hes, he's just—it's sort of—is he dead? You see the body sinking, but you know you—you you never quite get the answer to it. And it's a very. F- very strange rushed final five
0: minutes yeah a lot of those yeah. early films tend to have that don't they because they don't even have the emphasis on credits because they usually have an opening credit, so it's very much yeah. like all right here's the quick scroll and that's it kind of thing. those so.
4: yeah those the, there's so much stuff of building and lots of conversations and there's very few moments of action and when there is action it's really good like, there's an amazing bit where the creature gets set on fire mm. and it's oh. a full-on He's actually on fire, and he has to jump into the water to put himself out, sort of thing. Yeah, it, yeah. I think as a film, it's—I wouldn't say it was a great story. Mm. Um, it's a very simple monster story of something in the water. I think they get hung up on a few uh, moral tales and whatnot. Like the morality of Frankenstein is such an interesting yeah. story. He's created life. And it's all just gone to hell and everything like this. Whereas *Creature of the Rat Lagoon, there's this creature. We want to research it. We're getting a little bit too ahead of ourselves now. And then eventually it just turns into, oh, he's kidnapped her, ah, you've got to, you've got to stop it, ah, he's, yeah. ah.
0: And it, it's a classic thing with older films, I think, where they, do, they, they seem to be more wary of the final act, not stretching out as much, and it seems to be the reverse these days, that they'll have a very rushed fi- first act and then drag out the final act. Yeah. It used to be a bit the reverse, they were like, okay, people want to get out of the cinema now. And it's like
4: yeah, my- like this film could have easily been cut down. Okay, right, could have, yeah. it could have even been shorter, I think. So um,
0: technically as well like that's why his biggest influence is. Like I said, where you've got the stories like Frankenstein, which is then the morals of it. It sounds with like that one. Like I said, if there's all that stuff about the water and mm-hmm. um, and just the imagery of it, like I said, the thing that always drew me to it was just that poster you always see of mm-hmm. him holding the woman and stuff. Yeah. And, and we were talking as well before, wasn't it? Because it was in 3D as well. Yeah. Because, yeah. Which is quite incredible, like
4: at the time. And I think that was the big. Now that you've mentioned that again actually, I think that's the big emphasis to take away from it. Yeah. Did you a lot did of, you watch it thinking, Oh, I can see how this would be good in three D or Going back, now that I'm thinking about it, it's starting to make a lot more sense. Because mm. there's a lot of shots of sea life. Yeah. There's a lot of shots of just people swimming, or there's shots of like like the bit where the creature looms towards the camera. Mm. I could tell that would have been probably great. For an audience at the time yeah. it's like it's literally coming right for me yeah and that would have probably spooked people so i think yeah that's probably explains why there's not much sustenance to the actual story yeah. although there is a great moment in it where they're on the water and they're like what do you think about this and one of them's like oh it's the standard waffle it's such, it could just be anything it's like yeah but think about it we always talk about the possibility of life in the stars what about life like this advanced life in our very oceans mm. and it was quite quite a nice thing uh, for them to sort of again like that that emphasis on science and yeah. the, the possibilities yeah, this was yeah. definitely a film of that of that uh, mystery science theater ilk that sort of yeah, yeah. this look at all the cool stuff that could possibly be yeah. and you get stuff like fishmen and and all this magic and crazy science things that could be happening yeah. it overall like as a film though I think it was a mostly just done as a visual style it was definitely like, look at how impressive this film is look at the swimming shots and the underwater shots because again
3: underwater shots at that time quite impressive I think it's perfectly fair if a film like that does become like a visual experience to begin with because yeah. I think as David was saying like <clears throat> the technical constraints meaning that a lot more films at that time tried to focus on story and elements that could make a uh, horrifying without needing like so many perspectives I'm kind of refreshing when you do have films that like start ex- exploring more into that area of just getting the sort of technical expertise mm-hmm. to get an experience like that because I think of the four films we're talking about today, I think that's probably the most unique experience.
0: I'd yeah. Think. And the most science fiction-y as well, probably, as well. Yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah might be other elements, but um, yeah, any uh, experiences with this die yourself? Or?
1: I don't know anything about this creature of the, the Black Lagoon. No. Have there been many... Is that one that's... There haven't been many remakes. No. Oh,
0: there were sequels though,
1: right? I there actually, were. Yeah,
4: there were two sequels, but in, in terms of remakes, they have tried to remake this film. Mm. I was looking at research, there's been so many attempts to try and remake this and it's just never gotten off the ground. Oh really, well. Some people have wanted to I think there was John Carpenter wanted to do it. Right. Of course he did. Of course <laughs> he did. Of course he did. But imagine, can you imagine what his version of the creature of the rat the <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell will be there on a boat. <laughs> But, yeah, like, it's just one of those films that just never got remade. Mm. Makes sense. Uh, But it's lived on. Yeah. Quite infamous, not infamous, quite famously, which is quite Mm. amazing. Would you say it's got any scary elements to it? Mm. I suppose the, I I don't really know. There wasn't many moments of it where I was genuinely frightened. Mm. And I think the idea of a man-like creature being in the ocean, that, you know, the the sea and the water and whatever what lies beneath is always an interesting thing, I and mean, I think there is always an unease about the the water yeah. and, and something in the water
1: because yeah. fish are uh, weird. Yeah. yeah,
0: but in a post post Jaws world, they're probably very different. But mm. maybe people before Jaws would have been like, "Oh my god, that's scary! Look, they're swimming in the sea, and you know that yeah. kind of stuff." But yeah, it's yeah interesting to have that uh, that different take. Um, For myself, so I chose uh, Dracula, um, which is the uh, Hammer horror version, uh, which was uh, released in 1958. So there's the Dracula that came out uh, near to Frankenstein in the 1930s. But this is the version that has Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, which is why I wanted to see this film for so long, because like I said, I can't exactly call myself a Peter Cushing fan because there's all these horror films he's been in, which I've never seen. But when you watch things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and you see uh, Christopher Lee talking about his relationship with Peter Cushing, and you, talk, you see the behind the scenes of Star Wars and why he was cast as such a big uh, actor at that time to be in Star Wars as uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, you kind of want to know why, where that legacy came from. Um, and I just love Christopher Lee and everything he's in. So with him, I've seen a lot more because he's... He was quite linked to Burton, you know, in the Tim Burton films. He does a fantastic job in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, And he's just an amazing, you know, fascinating person. So um, with him playing Dracula and Peter Cushing playing Van Helsing, you know, what better combination could you get? And that's at the time of the the film's release, that's what they use very much to advantage is, you know, those were the headline stars. Um, So I wanted to have this all, like, look into... Hammer horror, which you see quite a lot as uh, you know, a very famous uh subgenre of, of horror films. Um and yeah, just see where, you know, where those actors got their roots. And yeah, very similar to, to yourself, Die, you know, I've I, I really enjoyed it, really loved it. Um there was some really interesting stuff that was brought out throughout it. And you know, I, I do enjoy those you can get those old school movies, which can be a bit of a bore or a bit of a stretch. But with this one, it's one of those that you just enjoy the theatricality of it and you enjoy the... It's not one of... The, it, it. I think they obviously get into sillier territory as they go on with different characters and stuff like that. But here you can still very much tell that they're trying for that very serious horror uh, route. But there are elements of silliness in it. Um, but that adds to the... The theatrics of it and and like you said Chris it's very similar in that everyone seems to be playing as if they're on a stage and I th- I was watching it and thinking how good would this be as Dracula as a stage show I don't know if it's ever been done but I- yeah
1: it was um there was a very old one in this kind of yeah, in so, 1900. There was so I would love to. Just,
0: I would love to see a modern sort of Dracula on stage cause I think it would really lend itself to it because you've got a lot of the great scenes in this is where you've got Van Helsing is um, visiting the family who's been affected by uh, Dracula's sort of like deaths etc. And you know they're in this. You can almost imagine the half rooms stage and you know mm. they're there with all the fancy um curtains and the big dresses and everything they're like, oh well dear, you know, du da, da da and all this. And you, you kind such
3: of such profound writing there dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: but you can imagine it on stage, you can imagine these people giving out this very like you know, big performance of like, you know, as if they're talking to an audience and that kind of thing. Um and Peter Cushion as well. Like it just emphasized why I love him so much as Tarkin, because he just brings such a gravitas and elegance to everything he does. And um he He's just so good at what he does. Um, I was watching the behind the scenes and um, another one of my favourite people, because he does various things, is Mark Gatiss. Mm-hmm. Um So writer, director, actor. Um, he was in the behind the scenes as a fan of the film. Um, and he's talking about uh, Peter Cushing, the intelligence that he brings to every role. So he's talking about how you can see that he's... Even in his stupidest and most rubbish films, he still takes it seriously. And that's what I always found amazing with Star Wars is that, you know, you had this very, like, veteran actor who comes along and does this silly space film. Um, And, you know, he very much uh, takes it on with uh, a lot of, like, respect and, you know, does it very professionally. It's
4: really interesting you mention that and the relationship he had with Christopher Lee. Because I once heard a Christopher Lee quote which was, yeah you'll pro- you, you'll you'll do bad films, yeah. but you should be good. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why those two have gone on to become such household respectable names. Whatever roles they were doing, they were committed and they were true. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect that. The, 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 yeah. These two men who could have, like, had careers of kitchen sink dramas and whatnot, it's like, no, you're doing a fantastical world where monsters will suck blood out of your neck. Yeah. Okay. Well... That's exactly.
1: the key thing, of, like with horror and like kind of science fiction acting, is the ability to like look at sort of like some like wavy rubber prop yeah. and take it unbelievably seriously. Yeah. and so that's why you get some people who are like like someone like um, William Shatner, who no one has ever called a good actor, but no. he's an amazing Star Trek actor because yeah. he can look at somebody with you know a lot of plastic on their face and mm. be communicate you know that sort of take it seriously.
3: Yeah, I I got that sense as well because uh one thing I've been doing recently is going back and watching a load of old Twilight Zone episodes and I mm. came across the one where William Shatner is the star. <laughs> it's uh, is it uh Nightbare on, on the plane. Yeah, like uh Nightmare twenty thousand uh feet, where literally he's having to look at this guy in really bad, like sort of gremlin makeup, just being <laughs> like
2: oh,
0: <laughs> And he's just there like
2: just yeah. taking
3: Yeah. I mean at the end of the day, like you guys are completely understands like no matter what you're in, you've got to Got to give it your all if you uh, if you can. There's yeah. no
0: point in saying, like, well, there's no point. And, that, and that's the great thing about this is that you get, like I said, Peter uh, Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee, like, go at it so, you know, so professionally. Um, and it's also just nailing the aspects of, like, what makes Dracula um, interesting as... So here it is more, he is the villain. He's running around killing these people, et cetera. And Van Helsing is chasing after him, et cetera. So, you know, it, it doesn't focus too much on the ca- character of Dracula at all. I think he only has like uh, s- 16 lines of dialogue or something like that. I think he's maybe like six minutes of footage he's actually in. Um, but like you said, you've probably had these in your films. You know, the fact that it will just be like, you know, do you hear that? Or where is he? Cut to the like doorway. And as the music <laughs> yeah. goes so big on
4: Similarly in, in the Creature, every time the creature appeared, it was
0: this... Um, da-da, yeah. Da-da. yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently, thing. with this one, the and this was then copied by other films. The composer did it so that the theme matched the name Dracula, so it was like Dracula, so it's like, dun, dun, dun. but he's always there. And as Christopher Lee is able to do because he's a very tall gentleman and he's just there, studying in his cape. Um, and interestingly, again, I was looking at trivia for this film, uh, the cape worn by Lee was was rediscovered in 2007 after it was missing for 30 years and it was found in a London costume shop during their inventory check. (laughs) What? I work in retail. Like, we do an audit every year. So does that mean, like, they just overlooked this famous, like, Hollywood treasure no, for some, like somebody just use.
3: left it on the coat rack and it was just like oh I, I'm pretty sure Debbie just forgot to take yeah. a cloak again
4: imagine so, that like you just do an inventory and the next thing you know it's just like oh well we were doing the inventory we found amongst all the chocolate bars someone's actually left behind an antique steak from the old Ranking yeah, movie to- <laughs> imagine that
3: <laughs> okay so we've got five boxes of fake paint <laughs> we've got two boxes of a uh, slutty police outfits. <laughs> we have one Dracula cape this is oh dear god or the year before that someone
1: just sewed like C. Lee into the back of that cape and someone else was like it must be the one yeah
0: it's gotta be it but like I said what I find so interesting is that the first 20 minutes of the film is like this uh, character who decides to take it upon himself to sort of kill Dracula. Um, doesn't go well for him. Um, it's one of those typical silly decisions in a horror film where you're just watching it going, what are you doing? Like he he literally like goes to, he takes his stake and hammer. He's got the two open coffins of the bride and Dracula. And he looks at the two and goes, I'm going to go for the bride first. And I'm <laughs> like, what? So he's there. And as soon as he puts the stake in, what happens? You just literally, the next shot is just Christopher Lee's eyes opening. And you're like, of course that was going to happen. He's going to wake up when he hears his bride, like, screaming to death in agony. Like, what did you expect him to do? Sleep through it? (laughs) So that was crazy to me. I thought they were heavy sleepers. (laughs) Exactly, I thought it was daytime, so it was fine. It's like, no. Um, But, yeah, you know, so the, the performances are fantastic throughout, like I said, uh, Peter Cushing has some fantastic scenes he has this like great scene where he's talking into like a dictaphone sort of thing talking up and he brings up you know like the um the fact that the person who is then possessed by this curse seems very much like a drug in which you know they hold on to life and you know they're lured by the you know the blood sucking and stuff like that which I think is interesting because that's always an element I liked of modern vampire stories like being human um where you know they make blood like a a drug addiction so i thought it was quite interesting that they were bringing that that up back then um
3: well i mean if that's how you feel you should read the actual novel like that that will blow your mind in terms of what in terms of what being a vampire is
0: actually allegory for yeah yeah well that's i mean that's that's where that was sort of like touching on those themes but what
3: it's a completely different theme in the book
0: oh no no i I was gonna say with with other themes that brought out in the film as well but but what was the theme you're gonna say
3: uh the stealing of virginity
0: okay. yeah it's oh, yeah. So
1: about sex that,
0: that's what i was gonna say was the other themes that there was a big thing with this film about um like the rating of it except especially because there was so many scenes in which you know he's there luring over the women and they're like opening their necks up for, for him etc um one note i have to make uh bring up as well is the fact that i just wrote in my notes peter cushion slaps Gerda. so <laughs> that, the 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 uh handmaiden of the house or whatever and the, the family is being attacked is called Gerda and uh, she sees Dracula and is just in a fit of panic like oh he, he looked like the death da, 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 da. Peter Cushing who's been throughout this film like a very well respectable man he's just there with his gloves on he's telling people like unfortunately your, your friend has died and he's just there telling everybody and she's just there in a fit and he just slaps her straight across <laughs> the face he's like get a grip we need to find out the other thing I was like oh my god he's just slapped her across the face what the hell if you think that's
3: bad he destroys someone else's entire planet but yeah he, he, he was building <laughs> was up a to that a hell of a slap across the
0: face so yeah that's that. a metaphorical slap in the face <laughs> so there's loads of like I said it's, it's, it was really fun I loved the theatrics of it really staple of, of horror Uh, Christopher Lee makes, you know, like him with like that sort of bloodshot eyes just, you know, really sticks in your mind. Uh, Peter Cushing is fantastic. And then he, you know, the two of them continue to appear in a lot of the sequels. I know one of the ones you mentioned, die was uh, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Oh, yeah. Which I didn't manage to watch, but I did watch the trailer for it. And it did make me laugh because when you told me about it, I was like, why would they make this film? So they made several Uh, dracula sequels like son of dracula and dracula ad and i know where like dracula's in london attacking people and all these different things um but yeah they have this like combination of martial arts and vampires Mm. where um, van helsing goes to china to help them with a vampire problem they've been having um which then essentially breaks into some martial arts vampire fighting um so yeah i watched the trailer and apparently like You can see, like, similar with uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon, there's a 3D thing. With this, the advertising was, for the first time ever, horror meets martial arts. So it it was very much like Bruce Lee meets, you know, like Frankenstein. So, like, bring those two genres together. And, yeah, I I don't think that went too well because I've never seen a film like it since. But, yeah, it it looked mental. So uh, where you can find it, I'm not sure. (laughs) Probably somewhere on the Internet. Uh, Your dreams. (laughs) You said you you watched it. and You just remembered. I saw it. Yeah, I remember
1: there being very little actual kung fu in it. Yeah, and the kung fu there was was mostly just sort of blokes in really heavy, like because the costumes were massive for the
0: vampires. These big like skeleton outfits. Yeah, yeah.
1: I remember them being huge, so they can't really move, and so the kung fu amounts to them just sort of like waggling their hands about and like waving a sword and falling over.
3: And you're like, oh, well done, movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. By the way, David, did you just call them Skellington
0: costumes? Probably, yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
3: Jack Skellington was in this film. (laughs)
0: Um, Something else interesting I found was when I was looking at the cast of it is the person who plays, um, so there's, like, the husband and wife, and then, like, they have uh, his sister who then gets attacked by Dracula. So uh, the husband um, is played by Michael Goff, and he was talking throughout it, and I was just like, where do I know this guy from? And he's the guy who plays Alfred in the old Batman films. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, oh, right, this makes sense now. But, yeah, he also has one of my favourite lines in the film, which is when they go to then, unfortunately, uh, put a stake through another vampire bride. Van Helsing sort of says, it's like, this is the only way. He sort of grabs him and he went, is there no other way? At which point, Peter Cushing just shakes his head, and he goes... But it's horrible. <laughs> and I was just like, this, this is the most blunt line. That's all it was. And then you, immediately after, you then get Van Helsing going into this big thing of like, the person you know now is just a shell. You know, they, they are gone, etc. But I just loved the bluntness of like, but it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's most films, you know, like, do we have to behead Thanos? Yes, but it's horrible. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I just want that moment to be in other films. But yeah, you could definitely see why it's a staple of, of Hollywood with, with Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that was my choice. Craig, your pick, uh, quite different.
3: Yeah, so we've talked obviously about a variety of different uh, monsters. But I think the greatest monsters we need to talk about are children. Uh, so my film was Village of the Damned. Um, so you may know this as the children with the glowing eyes and the mind-control contr- uh, mind powers. Um, yeah, I, I obviously knew about the, the cursory sort of these children are disturbing uh, going into the film, but I was really interested about like how they, basically their origin, because the origin's in the film and it's just weird. Basically one day... Uh, in this village in England, not far from London, basically everyone within, like, a radius of this village just instantly just just knocked out, just asleep. You walk within this radius, you just fall unconscious. And everyone's... And they that like, for about a day, and people are like, "What? what's going on? Then they just get up. And it turns out, in that time, all of the relevant women, as in any woman who could get pregnant so this is like mass conception from like from space or something um, so they all pregnant which leads to a couple of issues such as um, husbands thinking their wives have cheated on them because they were off in the war uh, virgin 17 year olds going to the vicar being like we I promise you we've done nothing what, what's going on and just genuinely like just upsetting a great number of people. And I also find out later in the film that this happened across the world in different areas. And we get to hear about what happened in those areas. But basically, the children develop quite quickly. And, like, they develop these, this sort of hive mind. So you teach one of them something, everyone learns the thing, uh, learns the trick. And a lot of the film is basically just exploring, essentially, the world that, and, like, reactions of people created because of this. I wanted to see more of it because I wanted to see more of the extreme reactions. But you see husbands hating their wives you see women think being really concerned about the idea of i don't know where this child has come from i don't know what this child is going to be like i I don't i don't like this um and then basically the children start doing sinister things like somebody upsets them they just use their mind control powers and just do bad things to them and eventually they just start killing um yeah, and it's really interesting. What I really want to talk about, though, is what happened to those other groups because it gets to the point where the group in England are the only ones left. So here are some of the things that happened. In one of the colonies in, say, I think Australia, the, the children just die out. They don't They don't survive through childbirth, right? Fair enough, I think those happen. In sort of the Alaska region, so we would get like uh, the Inuit uh, communities... They didn't like the idea of blonde-haired children being born from black-haired <laughs> mothers, so killed them all.
2: Um.
3: Yep. In another community, uh, I, can't, I, I can't remember the name, the fathers outright kill all the children and the mothers.
0: So all the women are gone.
3: Well, <laughs> all oh. the women who could give birth. Yeah. <laughs> and my personal favourite one, because it is arguably topical, is that the community in Russia, they survived for a couple of years, but then the Russian government were a bit suspicious and, you know, a bit untrusting. And they knew that they had to deal with them from a distance so they couldn't use their mind-control powers to understand what's going on. So they nuked them. Classic Russians. Yeah. They literally nuked, sent a missile to the small town that they're living in and just nuked the town. (laughs) So they killed the entire town to deal with these kids. Just a small group of children. And then, like, the ones remaining are just like, we need to survive. We'll do whatever it is to survive. And they do things like someone accidentally almost hits them with a car. So they make him get back in the car, drive into a wall uh, and blow up. They get a guy to literally shoot himself through the head. uh, And they also get somebody in a violent mob to set themselves on fire. And basically, there's not really much story past that apart from one scientist who's Technically, his son, I guess, is one of the it's one of the children. Even though he outright says can't prove it's my child, I can imagine that's the case, given that like there are five, six children walking around looking exactly the same. Mm-hmm. He's basically trying to say like, oh, they should be here for like human progress, and everyone's just like, no, nope, they need to be contained. And in the end, he he blows them up. But here's the thing, right? He basically keeps thinking about a brick wall to mask what he's doing which I'm just like, how does that work, given the fact that you'd be thinking, have to think of a brick wall so I don't think about the bomb I've got in my bag. <laughs> oh, wait, they now know about the bot. Damn. Um, no, and they just get easily blown up. But So mm. I find the world fascinating, but there's not really much character to apart from that. And I think the one thing that stands out here, which is really ironic given... Because obviously we've we've had like the range of monsters from you guys, and I'm here talking about... Potentially alien children. There's no sympathy for them. Like, even the moment you see them and hear about them, you hear about like the demonic eyes and the the eye effects they give them for the time look really good. Like this was out in 19, uh, 1960, uh, but even then, like just without using the sort of like glowy sort of like sort of effects, yeah, great depth. I know. Um, even without those qualities, they they do really make a, do a good job at like making these children like. Just appear sinister. And even when they talk, they have like the very stereotypical like British accents, like, It's okay, mother. Um and like there's this weird scene of like they they all go into a to like a a corner shop at the same time. And they're like, You would rather we didn't come in here anymore. That's fine, we'll send someone else to pick up our order in future. And just all walk out, and I'm just like, What the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm really surprised by how this film is about the the effects of, like, them being born once, etc. Because I always just saw it as, like, it was just this one weird village and yeah. like, this one one isolated incident. So it's strange that and then it takes this, like you said, almost like um, Creature of the Black Lagoon of, like, Oh, and this look at the science and what would have happened, you know, in other countries and the, the moral dilemmas of it. I thought it was more about these ch- children are creepy and, you know, what, what's the deal with them? And like you said, more into them. Yeah, like, they uh, really
3: don't turn up until a good halfway through the film. In fact, they spend they spend almost the equal amount of time looking at the actual incident itself. So there's a lot of time spent with the police and, like, the military trying to work out what's going on with um, the actual, like, area. Including the dumbest decision I think I've ever seen in cinema which is that, okay, we have this radius that we know that if we go within, we'll have somebody pass out. Let's fly a plane over that radius to see what's going on. And they say to the pilot, the moment you start to feel like you're passing out, turn around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are you, are you joking? So what do we think happens, guys?
4: He's fine. Uh, he goes back, lands his plane and goes, oh, I need a coffee. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or do we think it's secret option C? He passes out, crashes the plane. And then two seconds after that happens, the phenomenon ends and everyone just wakes yeah. up. Aww. So he sacrifices life for nothing. <laughs> they don't even go after him to make sure he's OK or anything in case of like, you know, oh, he might just be injured. No, the moment the plane crashes, they're all like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 he's gone. There's Gary. <laughs> But it's okay, they're awake now. It's yeah. fine. It it's such really a, happen. like,
0: part of certain pop culture, isn't it? Because the bit, the thing I always knew it from and, like, many things in my life is The Simpsons when, the, yeah. you know, when they had that sort of, like, they knew about the parents, you know, like, Mr. Flanders has been doing this and, you know. Like, yeah. So. yeah, so
3: I think, like, there is a – it did create this weird trope of, like, creepy British children as well <laughs> as, like, every now and then, like, the glowing eyes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it was – I know I, I got to say I liked it I, It was not what I was expect I was expecting it to be like these kids just come out of nowhere, but they do a really good job at setting it up, so like the beginning of the film is a very you know very natural sort of environment, and then all of a sudden you just see one guy collapse, and then like you just go around this village there's somebody on a tractor who runs over a tree because they're passed out it's just it's a really eerie atmosphere, and also also the end has like one of the most terrifying effects I've ever seen in film. I don't know. Mm-hmm it's just like wow. it, it's weird basically so the, the house that all of these kids are in is blown up and like people go to the house and they see it and all of a sudden these sets of eyes just appear on top of each other like on the screen they're just stacked there and then just fly at you one one by one in just different directions oh, wow. and they look they look like if somebody was like a half human half bird like the eyes were closer together and like a bit beaky and I was like <laughs> I was literally backing away because I was like, this is uncomfortable,
0: Mm. but it's very much sounds of that like with those films which are more 50s 60s you know speaking to that era of cold war in which they're like you know these films are going to be about like you know psychic abilities and you know like what are they thinking and you know like all that kind yeah. of stuff
4: it's a very body snatchers-esque thing to it but yeah. i think the very creepy insidiousness of like they've all been impregnated whilst yeah. they've passed out and it's really interesting because i, I i've seen the remake with christopher reeve yeah but I don't. I had no idea the original had had different parts of the world dealing with it.
3: Yeah, so I think what's interesting as well because the the remake is set in America, right? Yeah. So you could literally argue that's basically just not even necessarily a remake, but it's just what happened in their part of the world. And yeah,
4: then. you so you, you that's a fair point. So the idea, I think, the idea of it happening in all these different parts of the world, weirdly, it gave me a World War Z vibe. Yeah, of this 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 weird. Thing that has affected loads of different places in the world, but also you, this the fact that like they say tell you what's happened in these parts, they tell you all these things. It's 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 become it almost feels quite um, like analytical, and like there's a lot of and like you said, a lot of talking about the pregnancy and the passing out, there's a lot of build up to that. Whereas one of the sort of things with horror is they like not to explain a lot, yeah. Um, but obviously yes. the phenomenon is so outrageous
3: what happened well everyone fell asleep and now all the women are pregnant i think that's what i actually find really refreshing about like uh more classic horror films is they they really care about the concepts mm-hmm. so they'll spend a lot of time developing these concepts rather than trying to rely on like a miss then rather than relying on the mystery and then once it's revealed having that be a bit of a letdown because mm-hmm. when they just basically take step by step it's like okay so we have these Uh, rays from space sort of like radar rays that we're sort of shooting out basically coming back in they seem to have caused these phenomenon which has caused the pregnancy and it's of alien origin it's just like it just shifts the focus of what the film's going to be about Mm. and like we were talking about this earlier because it's what's the original novel is based off
1: of? It's based on the book The Midwich Cuckoos by John Wyndham uh, which is remarkably similar. I haven't seen the film, so we were kind of comparing notes on what is between. Yeah, because the um, thing
3: that seemed to be missing there was that it was basically the the community reactions were very much the same. Yeah, and but like,
1: they go into it more in the book. So there's a yeah. lot more about the sort of the families and how they react and how they try to and how they try to raise these kids kind of as their own. So some families reject the kids, and other families kind of love them and all that sort of thing. So it's really interesting from yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I really community perspective.
3: Yeah, that's what I thought was the most interesting. And mm-hmm. then you said that the book didn't give any details about like what happened in like the other colonies
1: not really unless it mentioned it briefly
3: but it's not part of it but yeah um, which again like those were my most interesting interesting aspects of the film when the when the kids are just there like you know being british children (laughs) um i wasn't as engrossed because i was just like right well we've already heard about like how many of your counterparts have been killed obviously you can it can be done
4: I love the idea as well that in, in the, the, the people that don't react as, as aggressively or dangerously are the people from Britain. And I'd like to think that's because all the children all parts of the world have that same language. So yeah. basically every, <laughs> everyone who is in that Inuit culture is like, why are they all talking? Like, oh, especially they if sound that, too English. Especially
3: <laughs> if that time in like the Russian colony as yeah. well. Like wait, they, speak, they, they wake up speaking English. They're just like, Com- oh!
4: so, Comrade, we have problem with children. What problem? Their little Englands. Say that again. Look. Oh, hello there, comrade. How you all doing there?
0: Kill him. Kill <laughs> them even if, all. If, even if they ch- talked in the dialect of that country, but just with that posh accent, <laughs> yes. that they would still be like, "What? <laughs> Whisky? <is it>? <laughs> I'll have a whiskey, please, comrade." <laughs> <laughs> it's neat. It. <laughs> but when you're talking about that pop, like modern pop culture aspect of like you know they don't look at the concept anymore and, that, and it's typical in um it reminded me when you mentioned it to me of the umbrella academy the netflix series because that comic or series goes along the same concept of like um at one moment in the world uh, the same minute same time of day etc um all these random women get uh, gave birth to a child who weren't and they weren't pregnant before and then it just leaps into then six of those children who's adopted by this man and they become a superhero team but i was kind of like i want to know more about like why that happened and why what happened to all the other children and the other women who give birth to them and stuff but they don't but
3: it's a bit like a film we saw this year where at one point in uh, at one point in the world everyone was struck by this curse apart from three people yeah. which made them forget the beatles yeah <laughs> I want to know why that
2: happened
0: <laughs> and why that film happened. <laughs> we'll never know. So, guys, uh, like I said, those are all our picks um, for our classic horror films. Obviously, there's many more out there. Those are just ones we sort of randomly chose uh, this year. Um, so we've got Frankenstein, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Dracula and village of the damned um the big question is now uh obviously part of our job here on this podcast is to recommend uh items to the movie vault uh which is the vault by the film god uh where we like to place all of our recommended movies uh which symbolize what we are talking about so can we choose a film from these which you think should go into the, the movie vault especially considering that you know only each one of us is, you know, we've all had different interactions with it. Some of us, only one of us, has seen, etc. From what we've discussed, what were what your guys' thoughts on that? If this was to go in a sort of vault of, you know, to teach you about film, etc., or like to so only one of these films can go. No, out. no, no. Just like if oh. it, it, it can be all of them. It could be none of them. It could be one of them. But you know, it's like I said. What were your guys' take on it? Like to me, I'm thinking we're talking about class, classic horror films, um. So, like I said, do you go down the scientific route, which two films go, or do you go down the monster route, which two of the films go? You know, it's, what, what is that genre to you and what maybe would be the best depiction of that? Is there two of those films that do that for you? What do you think?
4: It's really interesting um, because I think one of the things I've just noticed now is that we have both gone sort of two sets yeah. of the spooky monster and the science. And I think the one of them that sort of blends both together is Frankenstein's monster.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I would agree in that it has such that morality to it as well. Yeah. It, it's, it's great.
1: The thing about um Frankenstein's monster as well, which I get the, from the impression of what a lot of you guys are talking about, um because you say about with the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, the fact that they they kind of they they talk about science a lot. They go, mm-hmm. Hello, is this science, no, this is science, no, that's science. So, I, I, there's a uh, quote
4: in, from it actually, which is brilliant with the archaeologists. Mm-hmm. And so the the captain of the ship uh asks him, um what, what does he say now? Yeah, you uh, you eat, eat rock. Uh, who eats rocks? I eat rocks. I, I take the rocks. I break them open and I learn things. And it's just sort of like,
2: wow. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for telling us that. Yeah. Um,
1: but Frankenstein has no mumbo jumbo. No. It's got none of that talk. It's not got your Star Trek. You know the yeah. fiddly bops and the bong Yeah. You know it is a pure. Cinema experience. Mm. Um, and that's where you know it's saying the difference between you know the book where everything is is vocalized, I mean it's talked about, and in the movie, it is purely down to the acting uh and the production, and you know, uh it's something which you said with the Dracula, where you know that's a film that's a film that you could imagine being on stage. Yeah, that feels like a play that's been filmed. Frankenstein would not work. Although apparently it was originally based on a play, right. but everyone said the play was terrible. <laughs> you can't you can't put a windmill on fire on stage, <laughs> <Exactly>. okay? <laughs> you can't throw a man off a windmill. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a, a purely cinematic experience, which is so told through the visuals, through the acting, and then through and, and moments of brilliant editing in it as well. So I think it's a really great, interesting example if you want to put something in a movie vault. This is, I think, one of the purest movies mm. um, and also three out of the four of these are based on books and which I just thought was interesting yeah. are they better than the books is the question I guess uh, um know. think of Frankenstein it goes way beyond what the book does basically yeah it's way better um, so yeah I think it's good
0: yeah I I, I would be of. Av- well like I said I think you know there's the idea that the books give you different elements and stuff like that um, and to me that's that's the problem with Dracula is that you know I sort of watch it and think like It's not so much like, I want to see all the sequels now, but like I said, you know that there's the original Dracula, which was with the same um, performer for Frankenstein. Um, Bella
1: Lugosi. So he was going um, to be in Frankenstein, but then wasn't.
0: You know, so then you think, oh, well, I should watch that film as well to see that legacy of Dracula. So there's such a legacy around Dracula with different versions, um, which then you had then years later with... uh, What's his name? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. So you know, there's so many different versions, etc. Whereas, and like to me, any versions I've seen of Frankenstein have never matched up mm. with that version, which is in the original. Um, so to me, like I said, I've definitely put Peter Cushing in the movie Volta, put Christopher Lee, but like I said, Dracula, I think is just such a big thing. You know, I would agree that mm. I think Frankenstein represents these really well. Uh, um, and
1: for iconic Dracula performers, don't forget Jared Jared Butler. <laughs> who who played him in I think it's called like Dracula 2000 That's the one, which, yeah. something like yeah, that yeah. where he's in like a shopping center in America yeah. going like
0: boom out of the sort of CDI. I'd island. love to see somebody take as well Van Helsing, the like, Hugh Jack- there's Hugh Jackman Van Helsing <laughs> and there's Peter Cushing Van Helsing, which Van Helsing are you so thing. and then I think Dracula's in that film as well but what, what's your thoughts Craig?
3: I mean I think it's got to be at least Frankenstein um, I do also think that to encapsulate the type of horror that we've been talking about because obviously you have, like, classic monster versus, like, uh, scientific reaction around phenomenon. I feel like we have to put in one of our films. Mm-hmm. In terms of which film we put in, no major preference. Yeah. yeah so which I would, one is I kind would of- say
0: out of the two, probably, because you're the Black Lagoon, just because it's more iconic in terms of the visuals. Yeah. And, like I said, Village of the Damned, like I said, it seems to be about a lot of other genres, and then not so much it's, like a Halloween horror film.
4: It's interesting about those two films as well because the the antagonistic figures are so iconic. The mm. little British children with blonde hair yeah. and the fish man. Yeah, but then it's the stories around them that are that you sort of. That sort of takes away from it, mm. you know. They've they've gone on to live in infamy, and they've gone on to become these these icons. Mm. Um, whereas with Frankenstein's monster, the people who they, they call him, oh, he's a Frankenstein, and mm. they don't really know. The difference with that one is that when you actually watch that story, mm. it's so compelling, yeah. and you almost gain a new respect for it on the grounds that this isn't just a monster movie; it's a it's a it's it's it's, tr- it's a tragedy. It's mm. it's a it's heartbreaking. It's interesting as all hell. It's so, and the, the moral, uh, the, the moral compass is constantly flicking around in that entire film, yeah. and that's such a great thing for particularly what is essentially a monster movie, because you're not just watching blah and who and horror. Yeah. You're seeing a proper like old school Shakespearean esque tale, yeah. and it's. It, I think that's the difference between. Um, those are two films, and that one, the so monster I, and the story are both uh, as much important to each other.
0: Mm. So, yeah. I, having seen Creature of the Black Lagoon, do you think it would be, you know, like I said, should it just be Frankenstein? Or do you think, like I said, like Craig, are you agreeing with Craig that there should be that film to represent that more scientific angle? I think
4: so. And I think, I suppose based just on the idea of it of a monster like the creature from the black lagoon it's that mysterious
3: creature from the depths yeah and that has which in terms of pop culture does shape a lot more so yeah i think that should be absolutely what yeah. It represents
0: yeah cool. right so going into the movie vault this week then guys is 1931's frankenstein and uh 1955 1954. 1954? Yes, yeah, 1954's what, yeah. Creature of the Black Lagoon. Mm. Into the film Vault You Go, Frankenstein and Creature of the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, so, like I said, we've gone through our classic horror today. Um, so now we will wrap up with our always fun and not horrific endgame. So... I'll pass you on to Craig now, which will introduce the name and concept of today's Endgame.
3: Thank you very much. And for listeners at home, I have an Endgame for you. I want you to go through that episode and count for me how many times David said the name Peter Cushion uh, and contact us via our social media to let us know because he said the name a lot.
0: <laughs> I said it was the reason I wanted to watch his film. So. Yeah, but you
3: could have said Peter or just Cushion. Uh, you, you kept can't,
0: saying it over and over. Oh, no, you can't no. just say Peter. No. Peter. <laughs> oh, Peter was lovely. <laughs> Peter, won't you act in my film, Peter? Peter just thinks of uh hook it's like,
2: Peter, Peter. And <laughs> Cushion
0: just sounds like I'm talking t- Talking about a cushion.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the cushion was excellent in that scene.
3: Anyway, I would like to welcome you to today's end game, which we call the Ultimate Horror Lineup. So the oh. idea, so the idea of this is that we've taken various moments uh, from various films slash TV, which has some form of horror focus, and we have one of two scenarios we'd like you to do. So one of the scenarios is we'll show you a video clip. And we'll pause it at a certain moment in which we would like you to then complete the line. So what we'll do is we'll give you a point if you can say the line or close enough to that line. We'll give you another point if you can say what media it's from. And in certain cases, we will give you a bonus point if you can perfectly replicate the voice of the character giving that line. Okay, so that's for the video clips. So I think we'll do the, the first video clip round and then explain the rules of the second type of question. Okay, right, yeah. So uh, first things first, we need to decide who's
0: going first. So how should we do this, David? Uh, I've got the a point. Fight to the death? Oh, okay. Oh, so then you choose first or second based on... So uh, heads or tails? Tails. 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 What? <laughs> I mean heads.
4: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it is Tails. So, which? what do you prefer, first or second? I'll go first. Go first, yeah, yes? Okay. Okay. So,
3: so for this one, uh, so this is uh, from a TV show. So, like I said, you'll get a point for the line, you get a point for the show, and you get a point if you can do the voice.
1: So, you like donuts, eh? Mm-hmm. Well...
2: Have all the donuts in
0: the world! <laughs> so,
4: your answers, please. I know the show, yep. it's The Simpsons.
3: Okay. Anything <sighs> more specific than The Simpsons? The Simpsons Treehouse of
4: Horror. Um oh I want to say Treehouse of Horror 4.
3: Okay, I've, it's either 4 or 5, that's all I can tell you. Oh okay. But it is Simpson's Treehouse of Horror. Horror. Perfect. Um
4: I feel I can do the voice. I'm not too sure I can get the exact quote.
3: Okay, that's fine. Just go for what you can. <clears throat> I don't understand.
4: Oh, I can't, I can't remember the quote. I can do the voice, but I can't get the exact quote. I could, the voice is, so you like donuts, do you? Well,
3: have all the donuts in the world.
4: But I can't get the rest of the
3: quote. Okay, so you've got I don't understand. Yeah. Can you give us any idea what the line might be? It's,
4: something, it's someone gave up after so many. Okay. Uh, and I, it's, it's a person.
3: Okay. I, I just,
0: so in terms of obviously the show, yeah. um, the episode, et cetera, and part of the voice, et cetera, you are... Correct.
3: So for that, you will gain two points. The exact line, if you please, David.
2: I don't understand it. James Coco Oops. went mad in 15 minutes.
0: <laughs> James Coco. Damn,
3: Damn you, Coco? Coco. I don't know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. I always think that as well. No,
2: I, always think, I just TV know him shows. as a guy who gave up after 15 I always 15 think he's going to say
0: something like James Woods or something, you know, some more, like, Hollywood icon, but, yeah. One of the things of The Simpsons where you then realise years later, oh, that's what that was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, we'll now go on to Die's video. Okay.
3: Mm. Mine. Oh. So, a reminder. So, this is a TV show again, so show, line, voice.
1: Right in black and white.
3: Yeah.
2: Mr. Chambers. Mr. Chambers. Don't get on that ship. The rest of the book to serve men.
1: Is it, what, is it going to be like The Twilight Zone? Other than that, I don't. David? Yes. <laughs>
0: you got that right. Yeah. So it's, uh, the rest the of the book line. is, is the, All right. the yep. rest of the book and the,
3: um, so I will happily tell you this is from the TV show. Uh, so this is from the episode of The Twilight Zone called To Serve Man. Right.
1: Don't get on that ship. The rest of the book, To Serve Man. I have no idea. Um, so Something about the rest of the book. Yeah. The rest so, of the book, it's about sinking. It's full of plot holes. And it's about clip? this
3: boat. Okay. So... Unfortunately, that was not the line. The uh, icon- it's an iconic line uh, from the Toy zone. so the actual line is.
2: It's a cockpit! <laughs> oh.
1: So a giant headed man pushed
0: him into a spaceship. Didn't, didn't put much, much of a fight up, did he?
3: <laughs> well, when a giant headed man pushes him over, what are you going to do? Yeah, so the iconic line. So the idea of this short was that these aliens, the chamomites, uh, note that their names are very similar to cannibals, <laughs> basically turn up to Earth and say, we're going to shield you from all harm, and we're going to make it so that all of your desert land can grow crops, obviously turning Earth into a farm. Mm. So and they have this book, which they encode, and they disca- discover the name of the book is called To Serve Man, but obviously <laughs> it's a cookbook. So after that, uh, obviously you've got The Twilight Zone, so we yeah. give you a point. I enjoyed the voice, so we gave you a point. Yes, you were so close of the line. You started to say "to serve man," and then you just uh, needed to say "it's a
1: cookbook." I made a joke about being a ship full of plot holes. Yeah, I thought it meant like a ship, as in a boat. I no, so. yeah,
3: no, no. It was indeed a spaceship with a giant-headed man <laughs> just forcing him on. So anyway,
0: our next element.
3: So, the second part of this quiz. Is that we have the scripts of four different horror films that David and I will act out a part of. Yes. We have changed certain names to represent our own. <laughs> we have changed certain defining features into a different word to mask the identity of this film.
0: I'll tell you, it is. Can I just tell more? That's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it's our mascot. <laughs> so,
3: Swiss Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you hear Swiss Lodge, It is basically what was meant to be in that film instead. So for this, you only get one point, and that is what film are David and I acting out? So, Chris, your
0: scene. This is yours. Did you get the windows in the attic, Mitch? I got them all, mother. When do you think they'll come? I don't know. If they are larger Swiss lodges, Mitch, they'll get into the house. That's a chance we're
3: going to have to take. Maybe we ought to leave. Not now. Not while they're massing out there. When? I don't know when. We'll see what... Where will we go? I don't know yet. I think we'll be safe here. Let's bring the wood in. What happens when we run out of wood? I don't know. We'll break up the furniture.
0: You don't know? You don't know? Well, when will you know? When we're all dead? Like Annie? Mother! I'm I'm trying my
3: best! I'm, I'm trying my...
0: I'm sorry, Mitch. (laughs) Unseen.
3: Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just crying here. (laughs) So, the question is which horror film do you think that is?
4: Mm. Ah, goodness. Um, I have an inkling, um, but I'm. not 100% certain I've only seen this the once as well so I'm going to say
3: the birds David is the birds correct
1: are the birds correct
3: (laughs) is the film the birds correct Yeah, yes. yes. that was indeed Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds yep. so, genuinely one of my favourite films because mm. the effects have not aged well <laughs> uh,
0: so Swiss Lodge took the place of large birds in, large in that birds. context yeah. it, it's amazing because when it comes to the
4: birds um, I remember watching that for the first time and if you've seen the final sequence yeah um, referencing the attic I, my bedroom was in the attic at the time and honestly at the time I was like what if? Did I leave the window open? <laughs> no, no, no. But different. Oh God! Yeah. So
3: it did actually end me yeah. slightly. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Oh, yeah. For me, the drama is when you see one of those birds like. Arr! It's like. Oh <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> so die. It's time right. for your film scene.
1: God, I can't wait for this. <laughs> Hope it's a love scene.
3: <laughs> I stand up for sense and justice. Out. Our jails overflow with men and women convicted on confessions worth no more than this one.
0: Constable, this is a song we have heard from you more than once, but never before with this discordant accompaniment. I have two courses open to me. First, I can let you cool your heels in the cells until you learn respect in the dignity of my office. I beg pardon. I only meant well. Why am I the only one who
3: sees that to solve crimes... To detect the guilty, we must
0: use our brains to recognise vital clues Are using up-to-date scientific... Which brings me to the second course. Constable Crane, there is a town upstate, two days, journey to the north in the Hudson Highlands. It's a place called Swiss Lodge. Have you heard of it? I have not. An isolated farming community, mostly Dutch, three persons have been murdered there, all within a fortnight, each found with their head lopped off. Lopped off? Clean as dandelion heads. Apparently, now, these ideas of yours, they have never been put to the test. I have never been allowed to put them to the test. Just so. Granted, so take your experimentations to Swiss Lodge and deduce, uh, detect the murderer, bring him here to face our good justice... Will you do this? I shall, gladly. And remember, it is you, Craig MacDonald, who is now put to the test. And I seen. had
1: no idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chris knows it. <laughs>
0: Which film is Just that? Just
3: think about vital clues insofar as what's happening in the scene. Yeah. So they. what described. the crime is.
1: Yeah. crime is people being decapitated in a village. Yeah. The, the, the village... Head, the village of the damned. The village
3: of the decapitators. (laughs) Think specifically what's been cut off. Heads. Head. The The demon headmaster. (laughs) Chris, you seem to know it. Would you like to say? Sleepy Hollow. It is indeed Sleepy Hollow. Oh, I've not seen that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so the name that we had to take out was uh, Ichabod Crane. (laughs) So, <laughs> well, although we, no, did, leave in, we yeah, did leave that, yeah, there was crane. a, an,
0: a, a cr- crane that mm. snuck its way in there. So, so. but interesting, did you know it without in that in there?
4: initially? I was like, "What is this?" And it was when you you actually said a town called Swiss Lodge, <laughs> and I went, "Hang
3: on a minute, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's not a town." Um, <laughs> A town ahead of its time. <laughs> okay, so after two rounds, the score as it stands, die is on two, and Chris is on three. Excellent. So at this point we now return to the video clips.
0: So it's back to Chris now to be yep. clear as well.
3: The disorder, even if they are... <laughs> Take on. Go to Mums.
1: Kill Phil. Sorry. Grab Liz. Go to the Winchester. Oh, this is Shaun of the Dead.
0: And if you could do the voice, then <laughs>
4: Go to the Winchester, have a nice cold beer, and wait for all this to blow over. Let's play it. Have a nice cold pint,
3: and wait for all this to blow over. It's a case of yeah. I mean, the last absolute bit we were never gonna abs- quiz you on. Oh,
4: that was my saying bad, a beer
3: versus pint though. That's that's interesting. Yeah. But I think we will award you the points, and I also enjoyed your Simon Pegg impression. So thank, oh, thank you. you, you. Very much. <laughs> So yep, that's even right. I was a bit like, oh I got it from. <laughs> so I mean that, that's that's fine if you if you want to let Die have the points <laughs> <laughs> No, Any- no. Okay. <laughs> so Die, your next your next video. Right. If you're
1: blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits From which film? Uh, Young Frankenstein. <laughs>
2: Yes!
3: <laughs> Clip, please. <laughs> oh.
1: Different
2: types day,
3: coat, pants, yeah, all three points. I, like. I have to
2: give all three points. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: Dressed up like a million yeah, great <laughs> rendition. Yeah.
3: I absolutely adore this sequence. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, so
0: fantastic. So now we go to the last of the scripts. So, we're back to Chris. All I know is that I got a million dollars sitting in my lap. Huh? I'm gonna market these things.
3: Oh, Christ, come on, Dad, that's...
0: Just imagine the excitement. When word gets out, everyone will want a Swiss Lodge of their very own. Don't you think we could have checked them out first just to make sure? No. Even if we want to make a big profit, we have to move fast. I have some investors coming to the house on Thursday. Who knows? Swiss Lodge could replace Dog as man's best friend. So Which film is this
4: Swiss Lodge? Good best friend. Oh man, this is really difficult. Um, oh god, uh,
0: uh, Gremlins.
2: Yeah, oh, it's yes. Gremlins.
0: <laughs> I did think you'd get it there. <laughs> that
3: was a tense moment, yeah. But, yeah. Yep, so that was indeed Gremlins. Oh wow,
0: <laughs> yeah. So obviously, Swiss Lodge, uh, taking the place of uh, the What's the exact name of the species? It's not, it's not Gremlins. It's the um, Mordecai. Mugwise. 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 Yeah, that's, that's it. it, yeah. Cool.
3: Okay, so we go over to Die and...
0: His scene. He- yours, these
3: performances are incredible.
1: Oh, yeah. And they're acting them out completely as yes, well. Like, yeah. just, just, just just wait. This <laughs> oh. is
3: going
0: to be the best performance. <laughs> oh, yes,
2: <please>. Okay.
0: <laughs> Craig, stay away from me, Please. Don't hurt me! Don't hurt me! I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me!
3: David! Stay away! David, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said I'm not going to hurt you, I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash the right the f***.
0: Stay away from me, stay away from me. I'm not
3: going to hurt you! Stay away from me, stay away from me, please. Stop swinging the bat. Stay away from me. Put the bat down David. Stop it, David, give me the bat. Stay,
0: stay away. Give me the bat. Stay away from me. Give me the bat. Great, stay away from me. <laughs> give me- stop swinging the bat! Get down! Give me the bat! Get away from me! David. Go away. Give me the bat. Go away! Give me the bat! and seen <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing I've ever seen
1: <laughs> and it's the shining. Um. Yes, it is indeed the shining I want you now to do the entire movie <laughs> <laughs> can I just
3: say obviously guests have come on the show before and often noticed that David and I have a banterous slash uh, aggressive relationship from time to time we weren't sure if you were gonna just think that was like a regular conversation I mean, between yeah. us or not. It,
1: yeah, it basically is.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you
1: could genuinely replace the shining, the t- character the shining with you two,
0: and it would work. Yeah. But Chris Chris only a had child. Chris only had me giving him a lift here today. If it was me and Craig, you would have got a glimpse into that relationship <laughs> from the get show. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wish you'd replace Bat with Swiss lodge. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the Swiss Lodge.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me the
0: Swiss Lodge. <laughs> All I think again is just the Simpsons going. They give me the bop, 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 bop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we sure did
3: genuinely can. contemplate putting that scene in as one of the video clips but once we actually physically found the, the transcript for this scene we, we couldn't yeah. resist the, the urge to do oh, this fair enough so yeah. good. okay so uh, that's all we have time for for the end game but the final scores in the end uh, it was a close one in the end Die had six and our winner is Chris with seven. Oh, uh, congratulations hey. Chris Thank
0: well you. done well, well done sir <laughs> we should <sure laughs> can very close uh yeah, so uh are winning music as as all winners <laughs>
2: deserve. God, I feel <laughs> so bitter that I don't get winners music. <laughs> <think. laughs>
1: oh, I've never felt worse.
3: <laughs> You'll have another chance, Guy, it's fine.
0: Mm. Um your prize will be uh imminent, Chris. We shall decide it in the future. Whether it be something like you choose a theme in the future, choose a end game, oh, wow. choose a name like uh Matt got to choose the name for Swiss Lodge. Uh, we don't have too many characters running around there. So. No, uh, but yes, yeah, you, uh, you shall uh, have your prize in the future. Wow. But thank you very much, guys, and uh, well done. Uh, thank you for speaking uh, about horror films with us. Uh, where can we catch you both? Uh, plug some stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Where, where do we find you? Well, I'm on uh, Facebook,
4: uh, at C. Maxwell, Christopher Maxwell. Uh, and I also work for a group called Dramatic Moose Productions. You can find us at Dramatic Moose Productions. And we do a lot of to-
1: close to the left with
4: uh, The Watchers, Watchers Productions as well. Cool.
1: And Dyke? Uh, you can find me online. I run the Boxful Comedy Show in Cardiff. So then you can find um, us on YouTube and Facebook and anything where you want to look and find things.
0: Cool. Yeah. And it's like Christmas is the next one, is it? Or <laughs> Yeah, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. So yeah, thank you guys. Uh, if you've got your own opinions at home as to what you think uh, should go into the movie vault, um, what your favourite classic horror films are, are the ones you want to see us talk about in the future, the ones you're disappointed we didn't get to cover off, uh, then please do let us know. Um, you can catch us at our sort of uh, main site, which is Fresh Take Hub. Uh, We're also on Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook, Fresh Take Hub. And uh, yeah, please uh, review, rate this podcast, uh, follow us, whether it be through iTunes, Spotify, uh, Deezer. You can catch us on all the the good uh, podcast suppliers. So please do continue to support us. And uh, yeah, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, Craig, any last notes from yourself? Nope, just uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to your thrillers and your "Somebody's Watching Me" and all those uh, classic horror Halloween. <laughs> well, probably the most fitted vowel one would be the Monster Mash. So uh, yeah, Get
4: the Monster
0: Mash. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you guys. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one, and uh, yeah, keep uh, talking movies. And uh, yeah, as always, you can catch us on socials and on uh, audio. Good. Podcast suppliers. Thank you, guys. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye Ta-ra. bye. Bye. Bye 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 bye.